1: big thing from Total Soccer Show, our weekly venture into a topic that's falling from the lips of soccer fans around the world. Today we're asking a question that warrants some explanation. Are Arsenal title contenders no listener you didn't fall into a time machine and land in 2002 the gunners have five wins from five as we record they had a fantastic summer transfer window and the pieces are clicking into place my name's ryan bailey joining me to discuss Mikel arteta's side and its prospects are taylor rockwell hello hello graham roblin hi hi ryan bailey Hello, Graham. So, uh, Arsenal off to a pretty flying start, Unless we forget last season, they were bottom of the league after three yeah. games. A very different story, Graham, this time around.
2: Yeah, so excitement built over the course of, of, of pre-season. As you said, they had a very good transfer window, and that has translated into a very strong start to the season itself by winning all of their first five Premier League fixtures. They have beaten Crystal Palace, Leicester City, Bournemouth, Fulham, and Aston Villa. And you could argue that in terms of the fixtures, that Arsenal have had uh, a favourable run, but they have an away match against Manchester United on Sunday. So I think that will be a real test for them. And maybe we know a lot more about Arsenal as a team after that game. But fans sense something different about that this group. They they had to come from behind in each of their last two matches against Fulham and and Aston Villa. And I think it's fair to suggest that, that it's possible Arsenal wouldn't have won those games last season. It feels like there's a much stronger mentality about them this season, I personally don't know how realistic it is to suggest they are title contenders. We'll come on to that a little bit later on in the show, but you cannot argue that they have had a very encouraging start to the season.
1: They have indeed, Taylor. They, There is a different feeling, isn't it? It's hard to explain. It's not quite tangible. It does feel like there's more momentum behind them, Taylor, this season.
3: Yeah, I mean, I think it it's a product of Arteta moving from that feeling of like, is he the guy? Is he going to figure it out into, nope, he's the guy. He's got everybody on side that fans seem to have bought in. It's the most positive atmosphere. I feel like I, I, at least as like a third party observing remotely from Virginia, I have felt like the positivity coming through, uh, from their games. You can even feel it in Richmond. There's an Arsenal supporters group here that are always sort of, Uh, like, torturing themselves and rooting for the things that they can root for, and now they're just even more unbearable because Arsenal have been that good that they can uh, now just celebrate them constantly and consistently.
2: I think you can sense it in the home atmosphere at the Emirates. So Obviously, we all know the stereotype about Arsenal home games, even when they were the best team in England. Highbury used to get called Highbury the library, and the Emirates kind of has also... Not really been known for the best atmospheres, but the games they've played so far at home this season have been absolutely electric. The one that they played against Aston Villa last night, there were Arsenal fans saying that they haven't felt an atmosphere like that at, at the ground really since it was built. I mean, the, the Emirates has—it's not been the best Arsenal team that has played at that stadium, and, and it feels like there's a connection there between the fans and the team that hasn't always been there.
1: Graham, what's what's uh, what's happening on the field itself? Is there anything different in the way they're setting up? I mean, it's it's still like a four-two-three-one with a similar ideology to last year?
2: Yeah, so the formation that Arteta has used this season is the same one as as, has been used last season, that 4-2-3-1, as you mentioned. So that's not where the difference has been made. Um, What that formation allows is for Arsenal to attack with a front line of five players. They want to exploit, exploit the space, excuse me, in between the opposition defenders, and that's what they're doing a lot more effectively this season. So last season, you would see Arsenal do a lot of overloading on one side of the pitch and then play a ball into the middle for Lacazette, who'd never really moved away from that central channel to try and score, and that made Arsenal quite predictable at times and maybe a little bit one-dimensional. This season, on the other hand, there's been a, a much greater variety to their attacking play. I think a lot of that comes from the... Addition of Gabriel Jesus, which I think we'll talk about a little bit more. And basically, Arsenal are now just much more capable of targeting certain areas of an opposition defence if they want to. So, for example, if you look at Arsenal's play in the opening game of the season against Palace and where that was channeled, they had an equal share of play on the left and the right side. But by the time they faced Leicester in the second game of the season, the majority of their play is channeled down the left. And then you have the third game of the season against Bournemouth where the majority of their play is channeled down the right. And I think that makes Arsenal just much more difficult to play against and just a lot less predictable. All right and
1: presumably Graham it's all down to uh, Mikel Arteta having a light bulb in the dressing room in an Amazon documentary right
2: <laughs> Yes presumably I think <laughs> yeah. we'll come we'll come onto those those Tim talks they're slightly peculiar and um reveal a little bit more about Mikel Arteta as a person I wasn't sure kind of what sort of character he was before watching that documentary and now I have a lot more thoughts
3: <laughs> I, I haven't seen that yet I'm very excited to do so and I'm wondering how it will clash with my understanding of Arteta because I've been doing the kind of research on him, how he's evolved as a manager, and specifically how he differs from Pep Guardiola, because that is the person who he sort of studied under. He was Pep's assistant before moving to Arsenal. And, and I think some of what we've seen from Arsenal this season is, is in my mind, Arteta, Really molding them into his identity of a team and moving away from some of the ideas under Pep Guardiola. I think he's also utilizing players in different ways, like even Granit Chaka being allowed to get forward or being instructed to get forward and function more as a number eight than having two sort of deep pivots that don't then give you the attacker at attacking players you might need. I think they're staying a little bit more narrow at times. Kieran Tierney, I don't know if this makes Graham happy, but he isn't as overly involved in the attack. He's not a like fundamental point of the attack for them the way he was maybe previously. So I think there are little differences there that have kind of added up to making Arsenal like very very strong this season in a way that I don't feel like they had been previously.
2: I think I think their attack this season looks much stronger than yep. it did last season. So if you cast your mind back to the the final few weeks of of last season, they or a few months, I should say, they they sold Aubameyang in January, and even though you could justify that at the time because Arteta's put a big focus on the character of the group, and Aubameyang wasn't he didn't Arteta didn't fancy him as part of that group, so he moved them on. But just in terms of taking goals out of the team, that was an issue for Arsenal in the second half of last season. And they went through a series of games where they they struggled to score goals and they turned to Eddie Nketiah in the end and he actually did a reasonable job for them in the final few weeks of the season. But nonetheless, they still miss out on the top four. And then you fast forward to this season and Arsenal are scoring for fun and obviously Jesus has has made a big impact there arriving from Manchester City in the summer but I just think a lot of their players are doing a a better job of taking up better goal scoring positions and I watched I watched the All or Nothing documentary and there's a bit in that documentary where Steve Round, who is part of the coaching staff at Arsenal, he's sitting down with Alexander Lacazette and they're watching video footage of Karim Benzema and how he creates space for scoring opportunities. And Round is pretty frank with Lacazette and he tells him, you don't do this. And and round was round was a, was right. Lacazette was uh, was very good in the build up play for Arsenal, but he didn't take up the positions to actually score goals. And now Arsenal have someone who does that in Gabriel Jesus. But it's it's almost like there's there's been a knock on effect because you see Martinelli doing that more. I mm-hmm. think in the early part of this season, Saka doing it more certainly. Odegaard in particular are doing it more and making those late runs into the box. So it just seems like there's there's more of a focus of Ar- Ar- Arsenal making more of their territory in possession and making that count in the scoreline. Yeah.
3: And I, and I want to stick with the idea that that attack looks so much more fluid. I would add, I am not a, an Arsenal supporter and I don't watch them as intently as probably Arsenal fans do. I'm always just wary of going in depth on a club that I don't support or don't feel like I have as much knowledge about for fear that if, if it's my, the club that I support and people are doing that, I tend to get a little bit more sensitive and maybe a little bit more inclined to be like, no, that's not when that happened. Uh, so with that sort of, uh, like, like out of the way, I would say with the Aubameyang transfer for a second, I think in my mind that was sort of covered or the way I understood it was a little bit similar to Mesut Ozil where it's like, oh, he doesn't really want to do what's asked of him. He wants to play a certain way. No one quite knows how to get the best out of him. He seems like he's sulking. He seems like he's not a great personality. Ultimately, Arteta kind of stands firm and they get rid. And there's probably some truth to that, but there's also a lot of tactics to go with it. And there's the goal scoring, there's the attacking side of things, but there's also, um, Tifo did a really good video about sort of how Arsenal's tactics have evolved and one of the points was that Aubameyang uh every like the games he played where they were recovering the ball they recovered it uh far less frequently and they recovered it Uh, way further back on the pitch because he wasn't doing certain pressing responsibilities and Arsenal under Arteta aren't this all-out heavy metal pressing team they're much more about pressing triggers and springing traps and then attacking but if you have somebody not springing that trap or not doing their part to make sure that that system is functioning then the system breaks down and so with Aubameyang maybe there were personality conflicts maybe there were some I don't know, diva mentality, but it was also the case that he wasn't fitting the system, and that's when Arteta decided, this isn't working, I'm going to change it up, and so I think this is coming from a perspective of, I think Arteta has proven himself to be a very good manager and man-manager at that, and it's not just, nope, you don't fit, we're personality clashes, I'm going to sit you on the bench, it's, I've tried to get the best out of you, you're not functioning the way I need you to, there are other people who can, even if they're not big of as big of names, I'm fine with it, because they will make the team better, and here we are, Arsenal being better.
1: Well, let's dig in a little more to that transfer uh, activity over the summer. Uh, Fabio Vieira coming in from Porto for around 30 million, I believe. I don't think he's had any minutes yet. Uh, Matt Turner coming in, of course, uh, from New England Revolution. Um, but the biggest impacts, Graham, surely, Gabriel Jesus and Alexander Zinchenko coming in from Man City, as we've mentioned. And it's we've mentioned this before on on the pod about them having a winning championship mentality. Mm-hmm. That bring into Arsenal. That's very important in itself. In addition to the roles they're playing,
2: it is, and I think Arteta has put a big focus on the character of his team and that winning mentality. And obviously, there's a a lot of tactical stuff going on there as well. But if you watch the the documentary, and have I have a feeling that the documentary leaves out a lot of the the tactical stuff because Hmm. if you were if you thought the documentary, the stuff that it shows was the only. Um, kind of advice that Arteta was giving his team. You would, you would think he was a proper football man because it's all about running hard and trying hard and character and that's all the stuff that they leave in the documentary, but even taking into account the stuff that's inevitably been left out, he does put a big focus on that sort of thing. So I can imagine that having worked with Jesus and and Zinchenko at Manchester City, of course Arteta was the assistant manager at Manchester City for a a number of years, he would know what sort of characters that they were. And I like that Arteta has also looked at Jesus as a footballer and seen something in his game that wasn't being fully utilised at Manchester City. Because, of course, he was a very good player, for City over a number of years. But I think what we've seen from Arsenal so far this season, has been another level. He's been absolutely electric. And Arteta is giving Jesus the, the freedom to, to to dribble, to take men on. Jesus has that natural instinct, instinct of knowing where to be at the right time in the box. But he also does this thing where he'll start out in a wide position and then drive into central areas. And this causes a bit of mayhem and unpredictability in Arsenal's attacking play that wasn't there last season. But it also creates space for others to take up centrally. And I mentioned Odegaard making late runs. That's largely because... That's the space that Jesus is leaving for him, and then Zinchenko. At the time, I felt like he might be a depth option. A lack of depth was one of the the tight, the, sorry, the things that prevented Arsenal from finishing in the top four last season. And obviously, Zinchenko can play in a number of different positions, so he will help in that regard. But he's gone straight into the team at left back, and I know Kieran Tierney has played played the last couple of matches because no bias here. But he is too good to completely ostracise. They need to give him some games. But I think Zinchenko gives. Arsenal a great deal of control at yep. left back. And he, he doesn't attack with the same urgency that Kieran Tierney does, who is much more in the mold of a, a modern fullback, as we've been used to seeing the last few seasons. But Zinchenko, he just allows Arsenal to keep the pressure on opponents, to keep the, the foot on the throat of an opponent. And Arsenal have suffocated teams this season. And I think Zinchenko's influence has been clear in those matches.
3: I didn't realize until doing the research for this episode that when Arteta is the assistant for Pep... Pep is more about like the big picture tactics, preparing for the opponent, making sure that certain fundamentals are being drilled home. But it sounds like Arteta was the one who was doing a lot of the individual one-on-one instruction about how you need to take up a position in the half space, how you need to transition into attack if you're the holding midfielder who's used to doing a more defensive thing. He did a lot of the individual training, individual instruction, and two players he worked a lot with were Zinchenko and Jesus. And so, in my mind, basically he has two players who he knows have that winning mentality, have played under Pep, and have been successful and un- enough under Pep that they have been utilized by him. They weren't just kind of cast off to the side. But also you have to imagine he knows that they are coachable. He knows how to coach them. He knows they respond to instruction. And I think with Jesus especially, he knows if you keep him central and let him be a number nine and you put numbers around him and you put people in the box, he will create. If you're asking him to do the false nine, sometimes he's a right winger. Sometimes he's a center forward. Sometimes he's not playing at all. I think there's a lot more varied instruction, uh, not to their detriment because Man City keep winning, but I think if you give a player like Jesus the opportunity to be the focal point but also to do fewer things but to do them better, it seems like he will respond to that. Zinchenko, I think, the same, including... Sometimes functioning as a central midfielder, sometimes being a fullback, sometimes being defensive. I think Arteta having that familiarity and also the ability to coach in that individualized way, I think also makes a big difference in how successful those two players have been.
1: Let's take a quick break. When we come back, let's dig into more of uh, Arteta's managerial style and the mentality at the club. Back shortly.
3: Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone?
1: Total Soccer Show, welcome back to our big thing. We're talking about Arsenal and why they're so gosh darn good at the moment. So let's dig in, Graham, to the mentality. Uh, We've mentioned this feeling around the club, and it's clear there's a feeling on the field as well, and we've heard that mentality monsters phrase. Are we going to apply that to the Emirates now?
2: Um, The evidence so far is positive. I am reluctant at this early stage of the season to draw any solid conclusions because, of course, if Arsenal go to Manchester United at the weekend and all of a sudden lose from a winning position or something like that, then the same old accusations will be made of of Arsenal with their soft centre. But so far, it does feel... Like the character has shifted a little bit, and I would say that's not something that has happened overnight. I think we saw elements of that last season, even if they did miss out on the top four. And Arteta has made a big thing about the the character within his within the, his dressing room. He's made some big calls. We've mentioned them already. Ozil was 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 shifted out at Arsenal, even as the the highest earner at the club. And then it was a similar story with. Obama Yang, he too was the the highest earner at Arsenal, but it was a suggestion that he just didn't buy into Arteta's approach, like like he wanted. And some players have earned that trust from Arteta, so it's not like once you are pushed to the side, there's no way back. So I would point to Granit Xhaka, who seemed like he was on his way out of Arsenal last summer. I, I remember reading a report last summer that he was about to have a medical at Roma. He was he was going to sign for Jose Mourinho at Roma, and all of a sudden, he's back in the picture, and he hasn't. He hasn't had the captain's armband back. Martin Odegaard is the new Arsenal captain. But he is one of the three leaders that Arteta has has uh, anointed alongside Jesus and and, uh, Odegaard. So that kind of shows that he has earned that trust from Arteta. He's one of their most important players. So I think one of the biggest changes at Arsenal is that you now have a group of players who are fully bought into what the manager is doing in much the same way that City are bought into Pep and Liverpool are bought into Klopp. And I don't think that has been the case at Arsenal for about ten years, maybe even longer. Um, that in itself, I think, just makes a big difference because that buy-in, with that buy-in, sorry, comes belief and self-confidence, and from that you get a stronger mentality and a winning spirit, which is maybe something we've seen early on this season. I think the Villa game, uh, when we're recording
3: this, happened, what, yesterday? Uh, that win really was revealing to me. Because I think we saw the two different components of Arsenal that make them successful right now. And they exist simultaneously in that they're incredibly fun. They're, there's so much energy, attacking intent that in those first 15 minutes, it was just, like you couldn't look away because it was shot after shot. It's the soccer penalty shout that isn't given uh, because he gets suplexed. I'm not quite sure about that one. But it's just there's attacking intent over and over again. And there's a ruthlessness at times to that attacking intent. There are still the moments when it's pass, 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 and really pretty football that ends up at a shot. But there are also... Moments when it's pass, pass, shot, and it's less elaborate, and there is a practicality, a pragmatism to the way they attack, but there is also scrappiness to the way they play, especially on the defensive side, and especially when the other team wants to get physical, because I think in that Villa game, the way that Aston Villa tried to slow it down and establish some control was by making it chippy. They, they made it physical, they knocked Arsenal players around, they went in for fouls, and there were... Certainly, protestations. There was, uh, there was Saka running 30 yards to to complain about not being given a penalty. But there were other moments when players were just hacked down. Jesus has one where he's dribbling, is badly fouled. Uh, lands, sort of looks at the referee, gets up, dusts himself off, and keeps going. And and there there's that side to it. But then there's also a couple minutes later, I think Saka goes flying in and has that big sort of maybe retaliatory foul, and they don't back down from those challenges. Whereas I think of the Arsenal. The kind of, the jokes about Arsenal under Wenger later on when it's like youngsters coming through and there's a bit of softness there and they'd rather, uh, pass the ball into the goal after a 45 pass sequence. I think those are sort of unfair at times, but. It is the case that I think Arsenal were a team that uh, Troy Deeney said this once that like if you hit them, they will back down. And that's how you beat Arsenal is you out muscle them. You hit them a few times in the air in the first 10 minutes and they will not go up for challenges anymore. That used to be the MO of Arsenal. Troy Dini talked about that publicly while playing for Watford against them in the Premier League. It like to be able to talk about a team like Arsenal in that way publicly and not have it be immediate like locker room material says that I think it was a common consensus belief about Arsenal and I don't think that that's the case anymore. I think they will hit you back if that's what's required, but they will also complete some pretty passes if that's what's required. Yeah.
2: I, I I do want to see how Arsenal respond when they when they suffer a blow this season, whether that is a, a big injury. or or a big defeat. How how do they respond to that? Because I think that will tell us a, a lot about how they have grown as a as a group, because Cash mind, back to last season, that defeat the they lost 3 0 to Crystal Palace when things were going well, and then they lost the next two matches. I think it was against Brighton and then maybe Southampton. So teams, those are three games that Arsenal should realistically have collected nine points from. And they it felt like one defeat or one setback was enough to set them in a, send them in a spiral again. And in the end, that ultimately cost them Champions League qualification. So I, I want to see this season because there will be, there'll be a setback yeah. at some point. They're not going to go through the season winning every single game or, or being unbeaten. There will be a big injury to a key player at some point. So I think how they respond to that will say a lot.
3: Yeah. I think it starts this weekend. I do. I think that men United game away to Manchester United with one day's more rest, but you're on the road. I think that balances out. But I think that is a, a statement game because it's Manchester United, generally speaking, but it's also Manchester United who've now won two games. Maybe there's a sense that they're figuring some things out. They've obviously spent a lot of money. But I think for Arsenal, if they can go in and, and get a win or fight back and, and, like, if they go down 1-0 and they end up winning 2-1, I think that is a very much a statement game for them. It's a sign that, look, they went on the road. They got a result. Yes, it's against this Manchester United. You'll hear, hear a lot of that. But I think that will be a really big result, a big feather in their cap. Uh, because then they've got European games coming up in Europa League. Then they've got, I think, uh, Everton as well coming up. So it seems like Manchester United would be the game where they can really show the, their bona fides, so to speak.
1: Graham... Do we think we've seen a lot of growth in Mikel Arteta as a coach? I mean, as we mentioned, the reputation Arsenal have had, certainly under his tenure. Have things changed? What's, what do we think of him at the moment?
2: So I've got a lot of mixed thoughts on Mikel Arteta as a manager, and I've, I have been pretty fickle in my opinion of him, to be completely honest. At times I've thought he's he's not good enough. Right now I'm quite high on what he is doing. I can see the process that he's going through and how he has addressed different parts of the team at different times. I, so the all or nothing documentary, those, those documentaries aren't actually my favorite. I didn't watch the Manchester, Manchester City one. I felt like it was too sanitized or I watched one episode of it and I didn't stick with it. So basically it, it needs a compelling character for me to stick with it. I watched the, the Tottenham one because of Mourinho and I stuck with the Arsenal one largely because of Arteta because he is he has a peculiar character. I think that's fair to say. And, and some of the team talks shown in the All or Nothing documentary are downright bizarre. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know how some of the players are not do, are not smirking, are not laughing midway through the team talks. So there's there's one where he's drawing pictures on the whiteboard and he's linking a a heart and a smile, and that's how you create passion, apparently. And in one team talk, he gets out an actual light bulb. And he's talking about the connections that make the, the bulb light up. And the funniest thing about it is one of his coaching staff has like wheeled a generator into the middle of the the dressing room so that in, at a particular moment, the light bulb lights up. There's actually electricity for the light bulb to light up and you, they showed some of the reactions to the players to that team talk and you could tell there was some confusion at that particular one there's, there's another there's <laughs> one who's talking about how he met his wife in a nightclub and the work that the, he put in to woo her in this nightclub and how he wants to see that same level of work from his players to give themselves quote a great night as he keeps saying it's honestly some of the stuff is really bizarre And at times I kind of feel like you can see that he's been shaped as a manager by Pep Guardiola because there's that similar intensity to him. Sometimes I have to admit, I, I wonder if it's just a little bit of an act, if he's looked at Pep and thought, I need to be like that to be a successful manager rather than just being like that naturally. But there is, there is an intensity to him and there's certainly a lot of overlap between the style of football that he favors and Pep Guardiola's style. And I think a lot of his personality as a coach is now starting to come through in the performances that Arsenal are producing. So 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 what do I know? Maybe that's how elite athletes needs motivated. Maybe that's something that they respond to because the results has has been good. Yeah. I think continuing the connection to Pep Guardiola for a moment. Like a lot of the
3: talk about Pep as I understand it as a player was sort of that he was not valued until Cruyff identified him as this person who can be that sort of the pivot possession midfielder that then evolves into Sergio Busquets, but he's, he's slow, he's not that good, whatever it may be. But ultimately, he's still a player who came through uh, La Masia. Then he plays for Barcelona and has a very successful club career and then goes on to be a very successful manager. And I contrast him with Mikel Arteta, who comes through La Masia but does not make the Barcelona senior team. Uh, he gets loaned out. And then it's basically in Scotland with Rangers that he gets consistent sort of senior minutes, finds his form. Then it's uh, like a few little stops in there. But then it's Everton and then it's Arsenal. But it's very much through Scotland and England. And so with that, I think, comes the embracing of physicality, because you have to if you're going to survive in those two leagues, even if it's a different entity than it was even like 20 years ago. Still plenty of physicality in the Premier League. And so I think that is part of his DNA as well. And I think he is more okay with kind of tenacious midfielders who will put in challenges and do the actual defensive side as opposed to a defensive midfielder who is responsible for retaining possession and keeping the ball moving. Those are very different philosophical ideas. And I think it's a uh, Mikel Arteta who never gets capped by Spain at the senior level. And I think has more of a, it's not a chip on his shoulder. I think he has a point to prove. And that's where I think landing at Arsenal, uh, where he has the club connection, obviously, but also is a club that at this point probably also have a chip on their shoulder and aren't as respected as they used to be, rightly or wrongly. And so in comes this guy who I think has the intensity of Pep, has a lot of the philosophy of Pep, is obviously a very good leader and man-manager, but also has a point to prove and doesn't feel like maybe like he's gotten the respect or the credit he deserves. I see a lot of similarities between him and the club, and I think they blend really well. And that's really odd to say, all all about a guy who, because of that All or Nothing documentary, multiple people, uh, family members and friends who aren't as into soccer, but have watched that documentary, have come to me and said, like, so he's Ted Lasso, basically? Like, there's a real <laughs> Ted Lasso who's just, like, a really nice guy who's all about belief and team spirit, and it's just like... Uh, Yes, but no, like that's that's not it, too, because you watch his team play and like I, that foul I mentioned previously where Jesus gets knocked and gets right back up. The way they don't protest, the way they don't get into it, because then I think even like a Villa player came over and had a word with him about like, oh, you went down easy and he just doesn't say anything and gets up. And you can see in that moment, like, oh, that guy gets yelled at a lot in practice and gets a lot of loud <laughs> instruction in practice and is used to it. And so it just rolls off his back and away they go. Yeah. That doesn't quite vibe with the like hearts and mentality. And here's a light bulb.
2: Yeah. <laughs> I think his, I think his connection to Arsenal is. Is genuine And Taylor, I think it's interesting you mentioned his playing career there, because I think that's linked to that connection. So mm-hmm. he he didn't really get his shot at a big club until quite late in his career. And yep. I remember reading a, an interview with him and basically when he was at Everton, and he was a, an important player for Everton for a long time, but he basically felt his, op- his opportunity to get a move to a Champions League club as Arsenal were at that time had passed him by. And so Arsenal come along and I think he's maybe 29 when he signs for Arsenal. And so from that point on, he, he has an allegiance to Arsenal because they gave him that opportunity. And so I think that, that extends to this sense about him as an Arsenal manager. I don't think he's passing through Arsenal, if you know what I mean. I feel like he wanted this job. Yeah. This was the job that he wanted. And if he, if he does well in this job, he's not going to be on his way to Real Madrid or, I know he has a connection with Barcelona, but I don't think that's likely either. He's, this is, this is for him the job that he has envisaged for his managerial career. And, and every, the, the process that he's going through, he's willing to, for that to be a four or five year process. Obviously, whether he gets that time or not is another question, but it feels like this is a very, very much a long term overhaul, overhaul of the club that he is leading because of that connection to Arsenal.
3: Man, even Graham, that when he does move to Arsenal, it's in the 2011 season. I'm glad you mentioned that because that's the one where they sold Ses Fabregas, they sold Samir Nasri, which at the time mattered. Uh, and there was all the talk about how they haven't done enough, they haven't reinforced. And I think I'm correct in saying that Arteta was one of that group that came in on deadline day or near to it, but it was also like Jervinho and Mertesacker and the uh, Andre Santos, the defender from Fenerbahce, like that group of players coming in. And I remember thinking like, OK, they're bringing in a bunch of people. They don't seem like they're going to make them that much better. But like Arteta's good. I don't know if he's that level. I, like I remember having those thoughts and I think that plays into the idea that maybe there's the chip on the shoulder. But it is also he goes to Arsenal under Wenger. He plays there. I think he has an idea of what that club is supposed to be, or the ideals that Wenger instills in them, what the fans expect them to be, and I think that helps him sort of blend ideas when he becomes the manager.
2: Yeah, I think that's a very good point. He experienced kind of the last vestige of of Mm -hmm. the good Wenger years, so he has that instilled in him, but he's also gone through the experience of the bad Arsenal years as well, and so he's kind of got a unique view of what used to work and then what went wrong, and hopefully for Arsenal's sake, he's got the ideas on how to fix that.
1: Let's take a quick break. When we come back, let's talk more about things off the field and try and answer that question we're positing as to whether Arsenal are title contenders. Back shortly.
0: Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to com slash courtside to learn more. Total Soccer Show, welcome back to our
1: big thing. We are talking all things Arsenal, of course. Graham, let's focus our attention away from that wektangle of grass, uh, said Elmer Fudd. Um, (laughs) (laughs) What are are your thoughts about what Arsenal are building away from the field in terms of the ownership, in terms of the uh, front office?
2: So Arsenal went through a, a number of changes after the departure of, of Arsene Wenger. There was a recognition that the club needed to, to modernise and they needed a, a stronger front office with essentially more people. And you'll remember that Sven Mislintat was at Arsenal for a spell. He was the guy widely credited with leading Borussia Dortmund's recruitment for a long time. And his arrival at Arsenal was seen as as a big deal. And in the end, for whatever reason... That didn't work out. I think Mislintat in in an interview hinted that he never really had full autonomy. Arsenal, his job, he wasn't a sporting director. He was like head of scouting. And so it didn't really feel like he could actually lead strategy. But I think Arsenal learned from that mistake. And Edu Gaspar was appointed Arsenal's first ever technical director in the summer of 2019. And Arteta was the first managerial appointment made when he was at the club in this role, and Edu and Arteta, they never played together for Arsenal, but I think there, there's something important in the fact that they have that connection to the club together. It's the sort of thing that Ajax and Bayern Munich do to great effect, as they don't just hire any old former player, obviously, they're trying to identify people with uh, certain intelligence, people they feel have suitability for the role. But nonetheless, I do think it adds to their CV that they have that connection to the club together. And I think Edu deserves a lot of credit for the way that he has reshaped the squad to Arteta's specifications. I, th- I actually think one of the most impressive things about the work that Edu has done is actually in the players that he has moved out of Arsenal. Not not so much the players that he has signed. A lot of money has been spent on new transfers, but there were a lot of players on big wages who who Arteta made clear pretty early on he needed to move out of the club. And I think Edu might have been he would have been it could have been a a route for him to take that he could go to Arteta and say, look, these are expensive players. These are clearly good players, talented players. You're just going to need to. Work with them much like Manchester United have done to a series of managers, but no, he's he has he's moulded that that team around Arteta. You look at the the Cristiano Ronaldo saga this summer, and reading between the lines, Manchester United don't really want Ronaldo around, but he's he's still there. They couldn't move him on, maybe because they didn't want to pay out on his contracts. And Arsenal terminated the contracts of both Aubameyang and Ozil. They've moved out players on loan while still play, paying some of their wages. And yes, maybe there is a. Maybe there is a financial hit for them to take there, but I think you're seeing the benefit of that in the team on the pitch. And then there's then there's the Cronkies, which I think is worth mentioning as well. So cast your mind back to the Super League. There was a lot of frustration around Arsenal about the role of the Cronkies at the club. Since then, Josh Cronkey has taken a more active role in the club. Josh Cronkey, by the way, looks like the sort of guy who would spend most of a wedding talking to you about his... Uh, NFT portfolio or crypto or something, <laughs> something like that. He's got that look to him. Um, and I'm not going to say that the Cronkies have all of a sudden changed. I have big concerns over the way that staff were let go during the COVID pandemic and then big sums were spent on, on players. That didn't feel right to me. That is, that's a failure in being a, a community cl- club, in my opinion. But the Cronkies have actually put uh, some money into the club over the last couple of years. There's been a greater focus from Josh Cronkey to be an active, Leader in that club. Um, Some of the money that they have provided is a loan, but there has been that intention from the family to invest in the club. And and listeners will know by now that I'm I'm never in favour of billionaires owning football clubs. So the Cronkies' presence at Arsenal still makes me uncomfortable, but I think they have put a greater emphasis on Arsenal in the last few years and that has also played a role in the resurgence of the club.
1: Graham. You know how Manchester United, it's clear the spectre of Alex Ferguson haunts them because he literally shows up for every game and yeah. the camera is pointed <laughs> at him every game. Do you think that Arsenal benefit from not having that kind of behaviour from Arsene Wenger? I mean, obviously he doesn't never go to games, but he's not, he doesn't haunt the club in quite the same way.
2: Potentially. I also think Arsenal, this is going to be sound very strange, so stick with me here. F- Ferguson left Manchester United as a Premier League champion, yep, so there's agreed. always been that comparison of like <laughs> he's the best. That's the, that's the level. Wenger fans were kind of ready for Arsene Wenger, I think, to leave Arsenal. He left on a low ebb; they hadn't finished in the top four. So any of any of the replacements who come in after Wenger have not been held to the absolute highest standard as every Manchester United manager has. So in a strange way, Arsenal being bad in Wenger's last season has kind of helped them, or it should have helped them in the long term, and maybe that's helping Arteta now. And as you say, Ryan, the fact that Wenger doesn't show up to every single game (laughs) and that there's not a stand literally named after him like there is at Old Trafford with Ferguson. Graham, I think I I agree dead on with what you're saying, that Wenger,
3: for as much of an institution for as long as he was there, it is the case that, yeah, like in those final seasons, there were so many conversations about has he lost it? Why aren't they making signings? Is it time to move him on? So when they do, there isn't that feeling of like tremendous loss. How will we move forward as a club? It's it's a little bit that, but I think it was also enthusiasm. But at the same time, it was Unai Emery who takes over. And I don't think he's an incredible manager, but I don't think he was the right personality. I don't think he had the energy that was needed. It felt a little bit like more of the same. It was a manager who was good, but not wholly convincing, both in terms of his personality and his temperament, but also in the way the team was playing. Then you have Freddie Lundberg for a few games as their interim manager. And then comes Arteta, who at the time also felt, you know, unproven entity. He was an assistant for Pep. He doesn't have a ton of of top flight experience as a manager, if any, but also has that identity, like the connection to the club. And I think does sort of, keep things going as they were in terms of that connectivity to uh, Arsene Wenger, but also allows for that evolution and allows for that that sort of change in direction, change in approach. And I think that goes hand in hand with some of the stuff that uh, Adu has been doing in terms of changing their transfer model, going less and less after players for 70, 80, 90 million pounds who are 27 years old and maybe not necessarily going to help the team versus looking for younger players. I think every signing they've made, every outfield signing at least, was like 25 years yeah. old or younger. I Ar- think Arsenal were the, the youngest team, or the youngest go. squad in the Premier League last season. Yeah, and and continuing along that trajectory, I think it makes a lot of sense. Even that signing of Fabio Vieira uh, from FC Porto, it's like around $40 million, I think, which is a lot of money, but it makes sense when you have a young midfielder who primarily is an attacking midfielder who can deputize for Martin Odegaard, but learn, like under his tutelage, but also replace him in certain games so you have more depth. He he is that sort of motivational piece because if you're Odegaard and here's this kid who they spent a bunch of money on who plays a similar position, you better elevate your game. Like I think there's a lot of smart transfers being done, still some money being spent. They could probably spend some more, and I think fans wouldn't be too dissatisfied with that. But this is still an Arsenal team who only last season spent like like 160 million pounds or something like that on Ben White, Odegaard, Ramsdale, uh, and the like. So I think there's still money being spent. I think it's just more sensibly spent is the way I would put it.
1: All right, gents, let's get to that question we've been building to. Does this Arsenal side have a realistic shot at the Premier League title this season? The question is, essentially, Taylor, are they better than Man City or Liverpool, isn't it? Now, I can, I can buy the narrative that they could be better than Liverpool because I could buy the narrative that Jurgen Klopp's arc with this team is on its is on the downwards flow you know they've been you know operating on the very edge of their abilities for several years now i could buy the narrative that that's going to start to dip this season not necessarily saying it's going to happen but i could see where arsenal could leapfrog them i don't see the same thing for man city i think
3: no i would agree with that i would agree with basically everything you said i think liverpool have their own midfield depth options I'm not sure Artur is going to save that one um, and there are depth options elsewhere for them they're also uh, bringing in new players and trying to figure out how to get everybody on the same page and I think they will but I think there is some vulnerability to Liverpool but with City not only is there not vulnerability there's Erling Holland, but there's also money behind him as well if things aren't going well I think, or if they get a couple big injuries, they will spend spend money to not only bring in a short-term player, but a short-term player who is exceptionally good. And at time of recording, I think we've got uh, Elmeny picking up an injury, Thomas Partey picking up an injury. So Adu already talking about how he may have to go against his kind of stated objectives of not spending money near the end of the window and instead maybe making an emergency signing. And right there that says to me the depth, could be the issue because you can have every single person in your first team or in that sort of uh match day squad on board and everybody kind of pulling in the same direction. But if Jesus gets injured or Odegaard gets injured, do you have the depth to make up for that? If you have like a couple of your key players on the sidelines for a while, I think we'll find that out soon, but that they're already looking to solidify that midfield due to those injuries tells me that I think, they've got the talent they've got the belief but i don't know if they have the de- the depth to survive the campaign
2: plus a world cup thrown in there on top i think i think douglas louise is i think arsenal are making a move for him today so maybe he helps with that midfield depth but mm-hmm. i accept your point taylor and in, in in general the depth might still be the thing that that holds arsenal back is hector bellerin still there by the way he's, he's going he's to still- barcelona apparently today that's <laughs> that's a new one <laughs> <laughs> oh, weird all right whatever yeah uh, all of which will be information
1: that's out of date by the time the big Good Big lands yes. on everyone's feeds, I suppose, Graham. But your thoughts on Arsenal as a realistic title contender?
2: I think it's unlikely that they win the Premier League title this season. Um, I agree with everything that's been said. I think there's some question marks over Liverpool at the moment. So maybe that's a, a possibility that Arsenal finish ahead of Liverpool. But City are still City and they have signed that Terminator who's scored nine goals in his first five games, so I'm not sure how realistic it is to catch City at the top of the Premier League. I had Arsenal in my top four picks before the start of the season, and I certainly believe that yep. they will achieve that. And I think Arsenal fans might need to keep in mind the, the context of this season. I'm not saying don't enjoy the idea of maybe mounting a title challenge. Get get carried away. Why not? That's the, enjoy- that's the fun in football. But if Arsenal do fade away a little bit and end up finishing in the top four, I'd say keep in mind that is still a successful yeah. season. That is the object, the objective that was set at the start of the season. That's what they wanted out of this season. So if they go and achieve that, just because the start, of the season started off so well and there was chatter about a bit title challenge, maybe don't hold that against this group and maybe look at the progress that Arteta and Arsenal have made together and look at how maybe in a couple years Arsenal might be at that point to realistically challenge. I'm saying this not to, to toot our respective horns, Graham, but
3: I'm not sure there was as much hype about Arsenal for t- for title contenders because I think you and I were the two that had them in the top four. I think uh, uh Ryan and Joe did not, and I think that's justifiable because they weren't top four last season, then they're in the Europa League this year. But I think the kind of stability we've seen, the idea that like team, the team is buying in, the chemistry that's been uh, on display so far has me saying, yeah, they'll comfortably be top four. And I think a, a successful season this year would be top four and then uh, win the FA Cup uh, or make a very deep run in the Europa League, if not win that one. And they could. And I think that would be another statement of like, yes, we were figuring things out last season. We didn't get top four. We strengthened where we needed to. We, we brought in uh, smart signings that will make the team better, and now we're going to make it into the top four, and we're going to win the Europa League because that's what we can do this season. That's the competition we're in this season. I don't see how that's anything but a smashing success for Arsenal this year.
1: Yeah. Uh, Arsene Wenger famously touted the fourth-place trophy that his team continually <laughs> won, and it seems like that's back on the table, Taylor, I suppose. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I don't... I think...
3: It's going to be, I had Liverpool winning uh, when we did our season preview. I don't have them winning the title right now. I think it's Man City, and then I think there's a gap. I wouldn't be surprised if Tottenham finished second. I certainly wouldn't be surprised with Liverpool finishing second. And if they can keep enough people healthy, I also wouldn't be fully surprised if it's Arsenal finishing second, though I think third or fourth is is probably more realistic uh, in my mind right now.
1: All right, Graham. What happens for Arsenal now? Let's say they they get a third place finish this season. Mm-hmm. Uh, is that the ceiling? Do they push on from there?
2: No, I don't think it is the ceiling. For this, this is—I don't want to sound like and Neville saying this is Manchester United we're talking about, but this this is Arsenal. You yeah. know, a, a, a massive club, one of the biggest teams in English football. So their ceiling is champions, like finishing top of the Premier League. They've got the stature as as, as a club to do that. And I look at that Arsenal team, and this is going to sound strange, but. I find encouragement in how many positions they could still upgrade on. So they've got to the point now where I, I personally think they will finish in the top four this season. They'll get to the end of the season, and basically once when you'll know you've hit your ceiling if you achieve something, and then you look at your team and you go. I don't really know how we improve this team. I think Arsenal will look at this side and see that a a top-class right-back would maybe make an improvement to this team. So Tommy Asu is (laughs) decent enough, but he's actually a right-sided centre-back by trade. And I think adding someone with a a more natural attacking instinct could do a lot to open up that side of the pitch more. I think another top-level central midfielder, maybe an upgrade on Granite Zaka, maybe even an upgrade on Thomas Partey in the centre of the pitch would make a big difference as well. So that's how I can I kind of say to myself, I don't think Arsenal have reached their ceiling because there's maybe three or four positions in that team that you could say they could they could still find better on if they if they yeah. spend big in the transfer market. And and it's worth noting, like I think Arsenal
3: ultimately is a is a fashionable team. They're a fashionable team to support. They're London, uh they have like players uh, from past teams that I think are just still so respected and beloved Thierry Henry chief among them that I, I think they are just a really attractive destination for players looking for a club. And I think so long they were held back by not seeming like they had title aspirations, not seeming like they were willing to spend that money or that they had it quite figured out, I think, in the in the latter days of the Wenger era. But if if we have Arsenal back to their relative best and competing for in the Champions League or qualifying for the Champions League and making deep runs in other competitions and maybe springing some surprise results, I think they become a really attractive team for a lot of players and not just big, big, big name players, but players who are 21, 22, 23, want to make that next step to prove that they can do it at that next level. That seems to be what Arsenal are looking for and how they want to reinforce. They want to bring in young players who can get familiar with the system, get familiar with the ideas of Arteta, and then eventually challenge players as those players age for their starting spots. Granite Chaka, a great shout there. Thomas Partey, another one. So I, I think... There's just a lot to be optimistic about when it comes to Arsenal and I think Arsenal fans. Uh, even if they don't finish in the top four this year, which again, I think they will. I don't think that's as big of a disaster because I think they're building the momentum. And certainly if they don't finish in the top four, but win the Europa League, then not that big of a deal because you're still in the Champions League next year.
1: There we go. Everything's great, Arsenal. Five wins from five. You get to win forever. Wonderful stuff. They're <laughs> definitely the, uh, gonna
3: lose this weekend because we did this, aren't
2: they? Uh, yeah, probably. Yeah, probably. Probably heavily. <laughs> we tonight, we shall like, find you out. wouldn't be pleased about that.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, mixed emotions, mixed emotions. I'd be very happy. I'd be very happy <laughs> if Manchester United beat this Arsenal team. That's how things are. That this now seems like a team that if you beat them,
1: oh, okay, we're suddenly good again. That's exciting. There we go. Uh, I'm very happy, Taylor, that we had a lovely chat about Arsenal today. Taylor, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you very much for joining me, Ryan. Oh, my pleasure. <laughs> Graham, thank you so much as always, sir. Thank you, Ryan Bailey. And listener, thank you for sticking with us on The Big Thing. Do you like The Big Thing? Let us know. Send us a comment or, you know, a carry pigeon, whatever you want to send us. We love it. Thank you very much. We'll be back on the feed soon. But for now, Bye. <laughs>